when you really think about that statement, like you're going to die. So what are you going to do between now and then? Are you going to complain? Are you going to produce? Are you going to create? Or are you going to consume? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what are you going to do between now and then? I love Wichita now because um, it is a city of opportunity. And I think it, the best way I could describe it is it's like, it's almost like that startup that is just on the cusp of like exploding into growth and amazing things happening. And we're right on that catalyst and that cusp. Welcome to another episode of the Wichita Life Podcast. This is Landon. If you enjoy the podcast, head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and leave a review. It really helps out. Today's episode is sponsored by Il Primo Espresso Cafe. Il Primo is the oldest coffee shop in town and located at Central and Woodlawn, but they are now expanding. The grand opening of their new location is November 1st, and they will be located downtown at the base floor of the Epic Center, which also happens to be the tallest building in Kansas. Enjoy both locations for your morning coffee at Il Primo. Today's guest is Jason Taves. Jason is currently the Chief Technical Officer for Quick, a tech company right here in Wichita. Quick aims to give creators back a billion minutes and helps them be heard. We talk all his ventures leading up to Quick and the startup scene here in Wichita. Enjoy my conversation with Jason Taves. All right, I'm here at the Il Primo location at Central and Woodlawn with Jason Taves. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, Landon. How are you this evening? I'm doing well. Thanks for coming on. Um, if you just want to, real high level, introduce yourself. Um, who are you? How do you introduce yourself to people? Oh, man. It, it really just depends on the crowd and the time of day, right? Uh, no, my name's Jason. Uh, I am the co-founder and CTO for Quick. Uh, we're a local Wichita startup. We actually do um, captions on video and audio content okay. um, that goes out to social media. So if you're a marketer or if you're a content creator making video, yeah. um, we help you add captions so that they're more accessible and they can drive uh, better results for your campaigns. Perfect. And I have used that, actually. So That's for, awesome. And the, the beta version. So yeah, I'm that's sure right. So it's even better now than it was then. Oh, so. man. It's it's so fun adding new things every single week to, yeah. to that platform. It's a that's lot of really fun. That's really cool. And we will definitely dive into that pretty deep. Um, but going back, where are you from? Where did you grow up? Um, I know you lived in Australia or something for a while. So tell us a little about that. Yeah. So originally my mom's from Australia okay. and she ended up marrying a Kansas wheat farmer. So uh, my brother and I, we grew up here uh, just north of town, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we started off kind of doing the like cash crop, small farm type of farming. Uh-huh. Um, we only ever managed around a thousand acres. So it's a, it's a lot, but yeah. um, not a ton when you're farming, I suppose. And uh, after a while, dad decided he didn't want to have to be busy all year round. Yeah. Uh, multiple harvests and just a lot of stuff. And it was just him and us as boys growing up. And so we, um, we switched to uh, doing hay. So okay. providing high quality premium hay for yeah. horse markets. Eventually got into the zoos. So uh, the family farm Pretty actually big. still does all of the uh, local zoo contracts. So we've got Sedgwick County Zoo. Wow, and, that's incredible. Yeah, Kansas City Zoo. We do uh, hay contracts up there and then also out in uh, Colorado Springs. So wow. yeah, it's it's pretty cool. That we is get, really cool. Yeah. We get to uh, see giraffes and feed lions and do 
That's got to feel good too. That's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. My cousin, my cousin runs and operates at um, Day to Day, and Still he does going. a yeah, he does a great job of that, and uh, it's pretty cool. Awesome. Um, how often do you visit Australia? Uh, my wife and I, um, and now our, our new baby Shiloh, we, uh, we, yeah, thank you. Um, we've gone every year, some years, a couple times, yeah. um, just to see family. And for yeah. us, it's one, one of those easy places to go back to. Yeah. It feels comfortable. Like it feels like a second home and right. it's probably some of the best beaches that we've ever. That's what I've heard. Yeah. Uh, Bondi beach, I think. Is one yeah. Of them. Bondi down in Sydney is pretty, yeah. pretty amazing. Uh, we go to the sunshine coast just North of Brisbane actually. Okay. And, uh, yeah, it's one of those smaller towns. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's probably around the size of Wichita. It's okay. spread out. Yeah. Um, but they've got beautiful beaches and amazing culture there. Um, a really interesting, smart city um, yeah. going in, actually. Uh, for like 53 hectares of um, their city center that was a golf course that they just decided to rip up. So they started, yeah. they started from nothing, and they get to build their whole brand new, they want, yeah. their brand new CBD. Um, yeah, so they have their central business district. That's it's going to cool. be yeah. smart robots and vacuum trash and all Future sorts forward, of Future forward, yeah. Pretty much. That's really cool. So what, what is it like then? So you're in tech now from farming. What guided you that way? Did you, were you always into tech? Uh, I was always kind of the nerd. Yeah. You know, I was always kind of the computer guy in, in our family and, and with my friends at school. Um, but it was definitely cleaning out grain bins yeah. uh, on the weekends <laughs> or like the, just those chores that were teach you a lot um, yeah. in, instill character as my dad used to uh, used to say. <laughs> um, but realizing that you know there was uh, a bigger passion and, and ultimately that actually kind of branched out of my goals, uh, you know, going into college to be a secondary education teacher in yeah. mathematics. Yeah seeing kind of the state that teaching was in and where it was going at that point right. in time and knowing that I could not, I could not like deal with a lot of the red tape and the bureaucracy that I saw there. So I just right. kind of figured that, you know, at that point I wanted to educate people in a different way. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of that was going to be based off of uh, real life experience. So diving in as an entrepreneur and like building things and failing and yeah. figuring some things out along the way. Right. And then, um, you know, after a certain amount of time, and I, d I don't think that I'm there yet, um, if, if and when I have value to bring to others, uh, be able to share that and uh, help, them, uh, help them in areas that I wish I would have known yeah. uh, going in early on. So I've had some amazing mentors and teachers along the way in that process. Um, but I, I think that being a practitioner first right. means a lot. Sure. And uh, it allows you to uh, speak uh, from experience and, you know, being young like yeah. yourself, like uh, yeah, having having a few gray hairs, I think, will, will help that yeah. uh, in kind of the long vision. Yeah, definitely. Do you think it's something um, so obviously you want to kind of teach as you go, you get more experience, teach more people. Is there a long term vision for that, like some kind of a. I don't know, a school that's not like school today or anything like that? Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and in fact, so for me, um, one of the, I guess, the life vision, mm -hmm. if you will, yeah. is um, for me, I believe that my role is to help inspire others to realize their true potential. Um, I had parents who did that with me mm -hmm. um, and were really awesome at uh, giving me a great childhood. And uh, that's something I know a lot of people don't have for one reason or another. And I really want to learn as much as I can about the application of, you know, entrepreneurship or starting small businesses, um, 
right now with Quick, it's really focused on creators, right? Yeah. So creating content, creating value right. uh, for others, whether it's through a software, whether it's through a YouTube video, and then how do you create a lifestyle that allows you to do what you love to do every single day, right. create value, to be creative, and the internet's really enabled that. And I wanna ultimately, whether it's maybe in some version of Quick yeah. uh, a few years down the road and we're bigger and we can do more with our community, I would love to do that with them even through that vehicle. But mm -hmm. uh, if not, uh, I, I really want to have a school that uh, helps those who are leaving high school or maybe in high school yeah. and college isn't the right yeah, next step for yeah. them. Like almost a trade school for creators, if you will. Oh yeah, that'd um, be awesome. Yeah, I think, I think there's a lot around the tech startups and the yeah. entrepreneurial ecosystem that isn't software developers, it's the graphic designers, it's the video production creators, yeah. and, and how do they touch technology and understand code and, yeah. and work in the no-code movement that's coming up now. And yeah, there's a lot of really interesting things. Really that, interesting. Yeah, I do think even college is, I mean, one, the price of it is kind of ridiculous right now. Yeah. And two, just... Like for engineers, doctors, like yes, they need to go to school. They need to learn yep. the science behind the stuff. Yep. They need yeah. to do it. But yeah, like you said, like there's a lot of stuff. Like yes, a graphic design degree could be valuable. Yeah. But in those four years, what it, you could learn, you could probably go there and beyond, do start a company, yep. fail, do yep. whatever, and learn yep. a lot more. So. Well, and you know, I was thinking, uh, thinking to myself, if uh, I, I was really fortunate in the in the opportunities that I had with school, mm -hmm. um, choosing community college right out of the gate yeah. uh, meant that I didn't really have any student loans from that. Um, I did spend a year at a private school and worked my butt off to pay uh, pay those mm -hmm. uh, dues back. Um, but then even going to school like WSU, where yeah. it wasn't nearly as expensive no. as a private school. And, you know, I think if you're intentional about um, the process and understanding, and, and I was really fortunate, and my parents really ingrained in us, like, you're paying for school. Yeah, like I think that's powerful too. Yeah, yeah. we're farmers. Like you guys just have to figure it out, <laughs> yeah. and um, and that was really helpful because I was always thinking about what impact does you know if I'm taking out a $2,800 student loan or $5,000 student loan, what impact does that have? How fast can I pay that back off right. so that I'm not spending 40 years in something that I have to do because I have to pay this bill. Right. Um, and so I think that that's, that's something that I would really encourage any student, no matter where you're at in school, is understand the impact of, you know, if you're going to go through a four-year degree, what's that going to cost you? And what's the impact on yeah. paying it back, right? As a math major, yeah. <laughs> you're doing the math every day. Mm -hmm. And you're like, I understand what, what interest does and compounding interest. And, you know, if I had $50,000 before college uh, to go and either spend on college or go and invest in the stock market or go and uh, invest in a business – the lowest return on your investment, in my opinion, for a lot of trades is putting it to school. Yeah. Uh, so I think you can learn a lot more. And, and that's my personal yeah. self. And, and I know that there's others who um, school is the right choice. Sure. And, uh, and secondary education like that is really important. So. Yeah, definitely. Um, so you get your degree. Mm -hmm. Finish your degree? It, yeah. So there's an interesting story. <laughs> I um, thought there was. So. Yeah. I got married um, to my beautiful wife, uh, Shelby, and uh, we got married in 2010. Okay. She was 18, I was 20. 
So got married. Or, yeah, got married really young, um, and we've been together for yeah. years through high school. We're yeah. high school sweethearts, and we are as well. So. Yeah, that's awesome, yeah. man. Um, yeah, so you know, like, oh, it's, yeah, I know it's, how it goes. It's, yeah, it's we were pretty the, young too. So it's it's the best, um, the best, and also you have to grow up together mm-hmm. and be graceful through that process 100%. with one another. Um, so we met in school. Um, uh, she had got her. Um, she got her certification as a hairstylist okay. and uh, she was doing hair, kind of paying the bills while I was in school. Um, and kind of the agreement that we came to was, you know, I would make sure that she didn't have to worry about having a job after that. Right. Sure. So like, Hey, for this Pretty period of time. Off, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's yeah. like, Hey, for a couple of years, help me get through school. And like, right. I'll, I'll, I'll be the sole breadwinner, you yeah. know, for the house, if that's what you want. Right. right. If you want to continue, great, let's, let's do it. But right. I don't want you to have to do that. Right. Um, and so we kind of struck up that deal, um, pretty informally, but, uh, that was always in my mind and then starting my first journey into, um, web design actually mm-hmm. happened, uh, pretty shortly after we got married about okay. a year and a half after we got married. Yeah. And, uh, so I started figuring out web design and learning to code and learning graphic design, which was a huge part of what I did. Right. I did that for. I did freelance uh, web design for about six years. Wow. Um, to about 2016, mid 2016. Okay. And uh, yeah, it was it was a blast. Um, I learned a lot. I think my favorite process along the way was the realization that I was a mediocre graphic designer, <laughs> but really great at systems and processes okay. um, to enhance that workflow. Yeah. Then I had a short opportunity to work with a company out in San Jose, uh, managing a uh, a developer team and, and designing and building product for them, a software as a service product, sure. SaaS product. Um, that re- that went pretty well. I learned a lot through that yeah. process. Um, made mistakes, um, fixed things, uh, learned how to ma- manage international teams. Um, but at the end of the day, it taught me a lot about how to build product for driving value. Yeah. And then, you know, it was kind of also the entry point into <laughs> the startup world sure, where you go yeah. raise money to build a company. And, right. and that's where I landed with uh, Allison and Quick. So Awesome. Uh, so what, what kind of product was that in San Jose? Uh, it was actually an online education platform okay. for um, uh, continuing educational units in the medical space. Okay. Uh, so for adults who are taking care of adults with disabilities. Um, They need continuing education credits, and uh, we were building the platform to serve that up um, before a lot of it was, it's way easier to do now. Um, But even back then, it was really interesting working with the state of California to get it all certified and the system, oh man. I tell you what, there was a lot of red tape uh, in that process, but taught me a lot uh, about working with governmental organizations and how to navigate some of those good knowledge for future projects. Yeah. Don't build a SaaS platform in California (laughs) for medicine. Okay. Noted. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'll mark that one Uh, off. It's a lot of work. Yeah. Uh, so going back to kind of the development, web development, how you got into that, what languages did you learn? Like what was your progression? How'd you get into that? Cause I know, I mean, I've dabbled in programming. I went to engineering school and so we did a little bit of programming. I've done a little bit on my own, but, what was your experience? What languages? How'd you do that? Yeah, it was weird because I had done some HTML um, work in school and just kind of just really basic stuff in coding, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, it was this interesting intersection of, you know, some of the early platforms to what I would call 
what's taking off now is the no-code movement, which mm -hmm. is more the drag-and-drop designers, the, the Wixes of the world, Square the Squarespaces Space, yeah. of the world. Yeah, like those types of platforms. Um, but even like with Webflow now, um, which is also a competitor in the same space, this idea that you can connect the databases and you can have full infrastructure that you can actually build sure. SaaS companies wow. without knowing any code. Right. So they're trying to... Um, because it's only one in 400 people in the world that can understand and read code. Wow. Um, unless they can really write it well. Right. And so imagine if there's only one in 400 that could read English uh, or yeah. could read the native language. Um, it'd be really hard to communicate. And um, so kind of throughout the years, I, I became fairly proficient around um, HTML, CSS, kind of the front end uh, coding mm -hmm. languages. Um, JavaScript to, to some degree. Um, but really for me, I was way more interested on the business case okay. uh, for a company. So I was delivering websites in nine weeks at the beginning. Wow. I got that down to one day. Yeah, uh, and, and in most cases, it was actually about six hours, six and a half hours. And you can't do that if you're writing every line of code. Like you right. have to use some of these drag and drop designers, which for the clientele I was working with in, in the wedding yeah. photography industry, it was a perfect solution, sure. right? Um, it fit everything that they needed, and it taught me a lot about, you know, when do you go deep into code for, you know, kind of a custom integration for yeah. a client? Okay, like, now that's what you need to do. And when do you um, use something that provides yeah. high impact for low cost? Right. So. Uh, do you use one of those? Do you use like a Squarespace or WordPress or what do you what did you use before now? I, I used, um, so I, I initially got started on WordPress. Uh -huh. um, and then I really got plugged into a platform called Show It, which is okay. actually really kind of industry specific for photographers. Okay. Um, and then after that, like what I would use now, it would be Webflow. Um, okay. I'm really interested about their whole, because they've really fused, like you get to learn enough about code and how websites are built and divs and, and yeah. styling for all of that. Um, but at the same time, they take a lot of the drag and drop design tools that you need okay. to work fast and to like yeah i haven't i haven't looked at that at all yeah webflow is really interesting it can it can be really intimidating if you're coming in like as a graphic designer yeah um or as a coder it kind of feels like uh this is limited and sure. I, I don't really know if i can do the things that i want to do with this thing but um I, I feel like it's probably been the best marriage of kind of those okay. two worlds nice um and i mean their their ceo is really passionate about the no-co movement movement uh, he's, there's SaaS companies that are generating 25, 30K monthly reoccurring revenue. That's incredible. And they're built on Webflow. Yeah. So. I'll have to check that out. Right now, we're built on uh, just the Witch Child Life website is on WordPress. And yeah. I've used Squarespace for a couple things before. So uh -huh. I've, I've dabbled a little bit, but nothing too in-depth. But I'll definitely have to check that one out. That's cool. Yeah, and I mean, I think it, will take, it would take a little bit of time to, you know, get it to really where you want right. it. But I, I think some of the things that they're doing is really creative. And they have a cool, cool product roadmap from That's what really I've seen. That's really cool. So. Um, one thing we talked about last time we grabbed coffee, uh, world travel. Can you tell a little bit about that? Like. How That's a whole podcast in itself, man. <laughs> I'm sure. Well, we might have to have a part two about uh, that. Part yeah. Two, but. No, um, world travel was really something that Shelby and I just kind of randomly landed into, other than we had the uh, connection to Australia. So, right. like, right away, like, we were going to Australia to see family. Like, we had a, kind of a second wedding reception down there for, yeah. for my mom's side of the family and aunts and uncles and cousins. Uh, 
but um, we love traveling together, uh, especially through the the freelance design years. Like it was really easy because yeah. I could build a website in a day. Like didn't matter where in the world I was, like I could just block out the time and right. build the site, knock it out. There's a three grand in your pocket. Okay, you That's know, incredible. travel yeah. for another few weeks. Like have the next yeah. website that you do, and just and just keep going. Yeah. Um. So the geo arbitrage there was pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Um. And especially when you're in less expensive company or countries yeah. than the U.S., oh, yeah. but you have U.S. clients, and so, you know, oh, like I get three thousand dollars U.S. So, you know, that's maybe the equivalent of like five thousand dollars in Poland yeah. or you know oh, yeah. somewhere else. So, uh, we did. I think 2015 was our big travel year. We did 150 some days out of country, that's just amazing. China, all over Europe, Australia, like just seeing the world yeah. and having fun together before we had kids. And, yeah. and a lot of that was based out of um, a story that we, we do uh, like to share, which mm -hmm. is, you know, our struggle in um, becoming parents. And it sure. took us seven years uh, yeah. to, to really become parents. And we actually ended up doing that through embryo adoption, okay. which is uh, really interesting. And if you've never heard of it, you should definitely uh, check yeah. it out. But it's couples who have gone through IVF, um, uh, they donate their embryos mm -hmm. for other couples to adopt, essentially. Wow. Yeah. And then, like, Shelby is, I mean, she gets the embryo implanted, yeah. similar to how IVF works, yeah, but yeah. it's somebody else's, like, it's another couple's full sure. genetic. So there's that's, that's genetic crazy, parents yeah. and biological parents. Like, we're technically the biological parents, but they're the genetic parents. Like, it's, that's, that's it's a really, real. yeah, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful story. Um, she tells it really well on her Instagram account. So. Okay, yeah, I'll have to check it out. I think, yeah. uh, was there an article about that? Yeah, we I were in I the, read the article, yeah. Yeah, we were in the Newton, Kansas. Yeah. Uh, we had a friend uh, write, write that up. Uh, and yeah, it, incredible. Was, it was really cool. That's that cool takes story. a lot of faith. That's incredible, yeah. Yeah, and it, I mean, we've had a fantastic relationship with the genetic parents, just communicating back and forth, and yeah. we haven't met them in person yet. Um, we hope to do that soon. But uh, we'll, I mean, Shiloh will know um, as, as early as she can remember that right. she does have genetic parents and other genetic siblings. I mean, it's really important for medical yeah. data, just for that matter. But right. also, we want to tell that story, um, oh, yeah. and we want to let her know how much they loved her and they couldn't, like she had complications with their kids, so um, they couldn't have more kids. Yeah. And uh, they, even though they had fertilized embryos from IVF. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's a beautiful story. So though she'll have uh, she'll have cousins, uh, embryo cousins, uh, which are gene really full cool. genetic yeah. siblings, yeah. right? Um, in uh, in other, other states around the country, so. That's crazy, yeah. yeah, that's really cool. I think it's cool to talk about that too, because I don't think, I mean, before you guys, I don't think I've ever heard of that or nobody that I've known or talked to. So yeah. I think it's important to get that out. Cause I know, I mean, I know a few couples that have struggled and gone through IVF and luckily got pregnant. But yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I will say, you know, if there's anyone who ends up listening to this podcast and hasn't ever heard of it, or maybe they're looking at IVF, um, you know, feel free to reach out to me or my wife. Yeah. Like, uh, we're, we're huge advocates for embryo adoption. We had a great experience. Um, the laws and rules and regulations around it are very, um, very protective of the uh, biological parents. So that would be whoever's adopting the embryos. Sure. Um, the the genetic, genetic yeah. parents are the ones who ultimately had uh, that first round of IVF. But um, but really, just the um, the whole process was great and is so much cheaper than IVF. Really? Yeah, that's like interesting. A lot cheaper. I've heard IVF is super expensive, but I didn't. Wow. 
Yeah, so it's probably one fifth the cost of IVF. Wow. Um, so if you're, if you're, especially if you just can't afford it for whatever reason, or right. don't want to go through the pain and the hassle that can come from IVF, yeah. um, it's a, it's a really good, good option. All right, that's so, cool. Yeah, I'll, yeah. To, I'll link that, link up your contact information for sure in case yeah. anyone wants to reach out. So, um, so just hopping back real quick to so some of the website stuff. How would you get those clients? Because it's kind of like. You could pick a client whenever yep. you kind of wanted yep. to. So how was yeah. that? Did you have a waiting list? What, what did yeah. that look like? Yeah. So um, once I kind of, it took me about two, two and a half years to mm-hmm. figure out that the nine week turnaround and juggling seven clients at a time just was bad for me, bad for the clients. Like nobody liked it. It was kind yeah. of the same old model. Um, but it, I mean, we were, I was serving clients that wanted custom websites right. um, and not a template, just, just a redesign, right. throw together thing. Um, and so I, I mean, first of all, I started every site from scratch, which probably I could have built in more efficient ways to do that. Yeah. Um, but that was really important to me um, to to provide that value because mm-hmm. that's what the clients are paying for. Right. Um, and <laughs> the beautiful part about it was working with wedding photographers. Mm-hmm. They're used to a date on the calendar in which they go and perform their work and they get paid yeah. um, up front usually um, for that date. And, and maybe some afterwards, right. but really they're performing on the day. And so having this business model that worked really well to what they were used to, they could conceptualize, okay, like my site's getting built next Thursday. Right. Like I'm paying $3,000 for that day. Um, you know, oh, you know, I'll make that up in my next wedding. So, yeah. you yeah. know, if I generate one more lead that I wouldn't right, have right. and can convert that, like then it's worth it. Yeah, um, so the business case worked really, really well. Yeah. Um, and uh, and it was easy for me to stack four or five up and and uh, have them go through the automated content gathering process that I had built, which was, I mean, really, honestly, the secret sauce to it, as I could wake up to a Dropbox brief and I had, you know, the mood board that they had helped generate and collect from the questions and guidance that I had automated in kind of an automated yeah. questionnaire. Um, had all the photos, I had all the copy, I had wow. the site map, like it was all generated. Yeah. So I just woke up and like spent an hour reading through the brief, hop on Skype with them for an hour, 30 minutes even, just make sure we're on the same page, right. get to work building, um, get that first draft back to them in the afternoon. Right. And uh, we just go through it page by page and I could edit live right in front of them. So they got to see, that's incredible. Wow, like he knows his stuff and that right. would have taken me way longer. And, and, wow, and then it's just awesome. done, right? Yeah. And they say, okay, great. Like, this is awesome. That's all I need. And, you know, you provide a couple of weeks of support afterwards if there's right. questions or things that they want to tweak. But very rarely did I have that. Yeah. So. It's a very uh, four-hour work week, Tim Ferriss style. Yeah. I mean, honestly, there's parts of me that wish I could reboot that, knowing that, yeah. knowing everything that I know now. Sure. Um, and be able to work with others uh, who want to enjoy kind of that same process yeah. and workflow. Um, I, didn't, I didn't really know how to grow that or scale that. I mean, I just knew because you have to have a very specific drive and you have to work in pressure very well. Otherwise you get four hours in, you get stuck on something and you're like, Oh my gosh, like I'm never going to finish this. Or it's it's not that I didn't have those thoughts, but I could just process through that and like, and and get it done. Um, and so uh, there's only one site that took more than 10 hours, uh, it took 16, that was a long day, uh, but yeah. we got it done. Um, and there was one site that I did in four, so there was kind of the bookends, yeah. like yeah. the fastest <laughs> and the slowest. But um, yeah, I, uh, I, I really enjoyed that. 
Um, it taught me a lot about myself. Uh, I got to really be introspective about yeah. who I am and what I'm passionate about, what I'm good at, what I'm not good at, yeah. and then take that into all the other things that I get to do in life. Yeah. So. For somebody that might be listening that's like, that sounds awesome, I want to try that. Do you, is there, I mean, just for that specific instance, but I mean, you could obviously branch off sure, of that. Sure, Is there still a market for that type of stuff right now? Or is with the square spaces that somebody could build it themselves now, do you think that's not as... Oh, no, because, I mean, uh, even when I was doing that, uh, I mean, the market may have matured a little bit in the sense that there's just more awareness of yeah. that. Um, but I was, I mean, the majority of my clients were ones who had tried it on their yeah. on their first take, and they're like, I don't have the time for this. Sure. I, I, yeah. Makes sense. I don't know. And so I would say the most important thing, the best place to start is to find a community that you can bring value to, real, yeah. true value. I spent the first... I mean, I would say that the first year, uh, first six months to a year mm -hmm. before gaining any significant income, I mean, just small projects right. here and there, but nothing like I'm in full time, honey, right. you know, like this is, this is the thing. Um, I, I spent about a year just being helpful, adding value into groups where I could add value. So right. for wedding photographers, it was just, you know, learning everything I could about graphic design, what design works to help convert to right. sales or you know, how do you leverage SEO and, and just learning and absorbing and then almost um, providing value where you're, you're qualifying it, saying like, hey, I, I read this article yesterday. Yeah. I think here are the highlights that I took away from sure. it and not posing to be this guru that's expert or, or somebody who like has it all figured right. out because like you don't. Like you spent four months in Google searches and, yeah. you know, yeah. just reading stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and I think it's just being okay with understanding what your time is worth and then um, growing uh, throughout that process. So you know, I think the first website I ever did was $800, and I spent a long time yeah. on that site. Yeah, I bet. Um, but the client loved it. And uh, if, you're, if your client isn't singing your praises at the end of the relationship, uh, you either got a, like a, a wrong client, they're not the ideal client for right. your company or your model, um, or even you as a person, uh, or like you just, you failed. Yeah. Um, and so you have to be honest with yourself, like which one is that? Sure. I had to fully refund a client too, because we yeah. just didn't execute to the, to the, to what we needed to. And, um, we had to fully refund her and that was hard, but, uh, yeah, you, you learn a lot. Yeah. You learn, learn a lot. Move on. Yeah. Live and learn. Um, so jumping into some of the different ventures, um, as I was stalking you on LinkedIn, um, <laughs> let's just kind of start at some of the older stuff and work sure. our way forward. So, um, I don't know what came first, but the first one I've listed is made in the lab. Um, yeah. What was that? Yeah. So made in the lab was actually, um, there was a few of us web designers kind of mm -hmm. in that same space. And, and we really believed in collaboration through this mm -hmm. design community that we had. And so we started, um, kind of a, a lower cost website template store. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was made in the lab. It was show yeah. it, show it based templates. And uh, we're building that to be, very similar to what you see in like uh, creative market now, which mm -hmm. was we are going to sell you a subscription to a library of content. You get unlimited access to that content. Um, we'll add content to it um, as mm -hmm. we go. And so we kind of like preceded the store, like we got going with that and, and could offer um, great value mm -hmm. um, to, uh, to these early users. Right. And it was really targeting a demographic that was going to feed our custom development um, projects mm -hmm. and then we could just 
connect up with the designer that fit best. Yeah. So uh, Rachel and Carrie were my business partners on that. They're both out of state. Um, and Rachel had uh, a very complimentary, uh, well, both of them had complimentary designs to what I was working on. Mm-hmm. Um, Carrie was really the social media guru. Like yeah. she, she killed it on our social media. Um, and Rachel was the other true designer. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so Rachel and I had no problem. Like, hey, this fits you. This mm-hmm. one fits me. Like, let's just divvy it up that way. And yeah. it worked well. But uh, I mean, we learn as you learn with any kind of platform like that or marketplace like that the burden of creating content Mm -hmm. and like massive quantities of content to fill those stores, it it can burn you out pretty quickly as a designer uh, if it's just a couple of you working on it. So uh, we ended up closing that after a little while. It wasn't live um, too terribly long. um, And we just were able to focus on what we were doing well with our own creative design stuff. So very cool. Um, and the next one you have listed is Faith and Iron. Yeah, so that's actually a, a local uh, Wichita-based company. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they're still around. Um, I'm just honestly a minority um, um, co-founder, co-owner, I guess. Sure. In that. Um, but they do apparel for fitness, so all your gym rats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Stuff. Uh, they're they're amazing guys, uh, Danny and um, uh, Danny and Jason, mm-hmm. uh, and then also. Uh, Matt, they're they're really incredible dudes, and um, it, it. I was just the tech guy to yeah. to get the store up and running and sure. to, to build the website, um, and to help help kind of support that. But you know, it's it's one of those. I mean, it's a tough apparel is really hard. It, like, yeah. and I I don't do the day to day stuff, so like I only am like observing and mm-hmm. and seeing like okay, like managing all these units and then having a clear. Um, system and a process on the back end integrating with the website. I mean, right. places like Shopify make it so much easier than it used to be. Um, and yeah, we, bet, we, yeah. we, we moved to that a, a couple of years ago because really? yeah. it was yeah. yeah just way easier. I bet that is, We're on, yeah. We start on WordPress. and uh, Yeah, if you're doing an e-commerce site, yeah. Shopify is hard to beat. Okay, good to know. Hard to beat. Definitely. I'll keep that in mind. Um, next is Taves Ventures. Dave's Ventures, yeah. So as a freelancer, you're always looking at having, um, when you're doing contract work, um, having an LLC and what shelters you personally. Um, yeah. and, and that's kind of the entity that I use to uh, do contract work, whether I'm doing like speaking gigs, I'm going to get 1099 from something, or if yeah. I'm um, doing just side hustle things, sure. uh, helping advise people on whatnot. And if it's paid, I, I do a, not, a lot of non-paid stuff. Right. But um yeah, I think that's uh, it's really important to understand, like, you know, is that LLC or is an LLC classified as an S corp, right. and you know, those things are things I was fortunate enough to have a business mentor in right. really early. Yeah, um, that just walked me through a lot of that. That's awesome. And uh, yeah, I'd be willing to talk with anyone who's got questions about that. I'm, I'm sure I will at some point. Oh I, man, I, we currently are incorporated under as an LLC. Yeah. Um, but I think that's the right thing for now. So again, that was me doing yeah, a little bit yeah. of Google reading. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like I always tell people I'm just dangerous enough on that front to <laughs> say uh, trust your accountant and uh, trust your actual legal advisor. But yeah. um, you know, if there's just big <laughs> macro things like, oh, you know, how do I do this or like, right. what does that look like? And it's like, well, this is kind of the idea behind it. Sure. Um, and then you got at this point, take it to a lawyer. Yeah. Um, take it to. Take it to an accountant. They'll they'll right. really make sure you don't get sued or yeah, audited. That's what I've been doing, hitting up the accountant. Yeah, saying, yeah. Hey, is this the right thing? So see, those are areas in which going through that educational process for yeah. those specific 
sure. um, degree paths is super important, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. I want to trust my doctor. I'm going to trust my lawyer. I'm going to trust my accountant. Oh, yeah. Because those are big, big, big areas to mess up. Oh, for sure. Um, so the next thing started as one thing, kind of pivoted into another. Can you talk about Alice in Quick? Yeah, so I um, I got connected with Mike Mathia here locally, mm-hmm. who had spent 20 years as an HR executive for Donlinger uh, here in town. And uh, he really had this idea for helping connect candidates who are looking for employment um, with the right employment. Mm-hmm. And not just based off of a resume, which said, you know, what have you done or where'd you go to school, but really sharing about who they are as a person yeah. and finding that match because soft skills are so important. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of um, relationships, even between um, higher education and big employers here in town, in which the students go straight into kind of these like back office junk jobs to begin with, so that they can learn soft skills and the company can teach them like the company way. Um, And for us, we were trying to connect those stories of resumes that would have been turned over normally, right? Mm -hmm. Um, There's a difference maker who just has a bad resume. And so if you're going through a screening process and you turn that over, you miss a diamond in a rough. Or or somebody who's got a great resume and then is just terrible and toxic to a team and costs you a lot of money in learning that that person's toxic and then creates issues down the track. So Alice was kind of this vision that Mike had of – can we take video content, video interviews, which is becoming more and more popular in the Mm -hmm. HR space, and can we mine those for the soft skills? So we were benchmarking to the big five personality um, insights and just saying like, okay, positivity, articulation, confidence, energy, what's being displayed um, by these candidates in this area? And there's a ton of complex work that, I mean, to be honest, we were just too early to market for. Yeah. Um, And, we didn't necessarily go super far down the R and D path for the machine learning and AI right. that was there. Like there was some early work that we had done, worked with Michigan state university right. to uh, do some studies on what we were working on. Um, but ultimately um, 12 to 18 month sales cycles. Um, and we were just getting some pilots um, yeah. and uh, that really the pragmatic buyers that we were looking for um, just weren't there Um, so we had a choice to make like do we just go burn the investor capital that we had raised educating a market and trying to hold out for that market to be ready Mm -hmm. or do we figure out how to um, narrow our product offering so uh, providing real value to some of the um, some of the pilot partnerships that we had established and, Mm -hmm. and started working with how can we really bring them value right now um, and then also, uh, what is the value outside using kind of that core technology or parts of it? Yeah. Um, what can we do beyond that? And that's mm-hmm. really where I got to go and discover um, the incredible opportunity with Quick. Okay. And uh, just some of the connections that we had here locally in the marketing space. Mm-hmm. Um, we got talking and we started seeing how much video content costs to create. Uh, it's time. It's specialty software. It's... Um, you know, four microphones and yeah. big cameras. Like, and even with phones today, like if you want to produce a one-minute clip uh, out on social media mm-hmm. with captions on it, it's going to take you forty-five minutes using kind of the industry standards right now wow. to I add ca- that, yeah. yeah to add captions to it uh, through like Adobe Premiere, for example, or sure. some of these video editors. Um, and we 
basically were able to take kind of the core technology we had with Alice, which is already doing the transcription work, wow. um, package up, uh, package it up as a SaaS um, platform, kind of build the video management mm-hmm. component behind it, and we can deliver that same video with captions in less than five minutes. That's awesome. So, and, and yeah. all a user has to do is edit the last, the last few words that we miss. Yeah, and I, like I said, I did a. I think it was just like a minute clip. So uh-huh. a good ex- example of that one in the beta. And yeah, there was, I mean, just a handful of words, I think that I had to, yeah. and that, I mean, that was because it was, we had eight different speakers. I had little clips of people yeah. talking. So it's yeah. all different ways of talking yep. and everything. So yeah. that's pretty incredible. Yeah. Um, it was really interesting to stumble across that, Yeah, um, that need. Sure. And when you see a need like that very clearly and um, there really wasn't a, a good answer in market, like there were yeah. some other, um, apps and platforms that had been a couple years too early, I think, yeah. um, when captions weren't as neat. Like we just, to be honest, we were lucky that we hit it right at the right time. Sure. Like it was the same time Google announced um, some of the work that they were doing with the deaf and hard of hearing around live captions okay. that really complements our product really well uh, on Android. Yeah. Um, and then just this importance of there's 450 million people around the world who are deaf or hard of hearing who do not have the capability to engage with video content because creators can't or don't see the value in adding captions. And uh, for us, we realize it's it's not because creators don't want to do it. It's mm-hmm. because the time burden to do that just they wouldn't be around, you know, a year from now if they had to go and caption every single video at right. that cost. Um, and so we said, let's save creators time. And so now we're on this mission to save video content creators a billion minutes of time um, to give give it back to them. Yeah. Let them be creative instead of just having captions. Sure. So. And so how, I guess you kind of explained it, but how did you how did you stumble across that specific thing? So I'm sure there was other yeah. problems or issues that people were, yeah. why was it captions and video that stood out? Uh, to be honest, it was actually um, going through the process of saying, all right, if I'm in the marketing space and at really at that point in time, um, it was about this time last year, mm-hmm. um, I was analyzing the space, kind of seeing what a lot of our marketer friends were doing um, and the whole video your podcast and then reuse it in multiple yep. places all over social media. Gary like, approach. Exactly, right? And Gary Vee was starting to get really, really hot on more content, more content, more oh, yeah. content, like 15 pieces a day, you know. 100 pieces a day. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, and the only way that you can do that with video content is if you can reduce the cost of creating that video content. Right. So this is where I started to analyze, okay, so what does it look like in a world where it's not just Gary Vee and his team, but it's all marketers are yeah. creating content at scale? Well, you have to know a couple things. Where am I going to find the content? Like if I've got pieces I'm reusing, mm-hmm. where does it live? Where does it exist? Um, what content should I create? Right? Cause when you do 15 pieces a day, it's like, okay, now what, you know, right. what do I do tomorrow? What 15 pieces do I do tomorrow? Um, and then being able to essentially turn and burn it. Right. right. So yeah. you've got to create it on your device and deliver it from your device straight out into, you know, a publishing platform to schedule it for later or yep. directly out into social media. Like you, you just can't afford to go through multiple people into a production team and yeah, into a workflow, right. and it, it 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 would be way too cost prohibitive in that right. sense. Um, so that's where we said this is something that's missing right now in the market. There's not a good solution. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple dead apps that are unsupported. Okay. They don't have anything changing yeah, yeah. Uh, with them. They're not really built for this specific use case, um, and so 
we just went after it. And yeah, so there's uh, not a not a ton of competition right now. Or yeah, I mean, that, uh, there's a couple um, there's a couple competitors in the mm-hmm. space. The biggest competitor, honestly, that we have is kind of a faster horses situation, which is. I need a transcript for my video so that when I upload it to Facebook, I'm uploading a transcript along with it, okay. or I'm trying to, yeah. um, you know, rely on right. Facebook or YouTube's kind of automated captioning yeah. process. Which I can only tell you why our customers are coming to us, uh, and it's because they've been frustrated with the inaccuracy of those platforms right. and the time it does take them when they hack it that way. Right. And they say, I'd rather pay for a product. Uh, I'll pay for yours. It's sure. the best. So and I think it says, is it 92%? Right around, right around 91. Yeah. And, and we, we caveat that yeah. based off of like, I mean, good quality audio is huge. Yeah. Um, and then we support 11 different language profiles. So each, That's la- incredible. That's yeah, each language profile is going to be a little bit, a little bit different on accuracy. So, right. And so I guess, just one step back, the the core technology from Alice to Quick, what is that built on? Is that like a is that like Python? What kind of language? Like how is yep. that framework? Yeah, so we're a Python shop on okay. the back end. Yeah. Um, um, Python, and then we've uh, we've got two incredible developers in house, um, uh, and they're the ones who really like built this thing. Yeah. And um, we're able to use a lot of the core technology from Alice to. Mm-hmm. I mean, when we're when we're basically benchmarking somebody's interview right. um we have to know what they're saying right. so we took that piece and we said okay how can we repurpose this in a marketing vertical and um we kind of stumbled into this and uh yeah, yeah I, I think part of it is just seeing where the needs and the values for um your potential clients exist mm-hmm. and then filling that and filling it in a way that enables them to create more value out of it, right? So if you're filling a need, but then they can also leverage that. So for marketers, when we can give them captions, now they can sell that to their clients, Yeah. right? So they can meet the KPIs that their competitors can't because I get better engagement with captions. I get a 16% increase on engagement just by using captions on average. Um, Or I get a 26% increase on click-throughs on call to action just by using captions. Um, And it's because You've done it. I've done it. Everyone in the audience, you know that you've gone on social media and you scroll through feeds. And if you see a talking head on mute, you just scroll right past it. You've gone through Instagram stories and you swipe completely past the entire story if they're talking because it's like, I don't know what you're saying. Also, if you're in public or somewhere and you're like, I don't have headphones, then I'm not going to listen to this. And so (laughs) in a meeting, you know, at work, you're (laughs) who would uh, do that? (laughs) Yeah. Laying in bed. I mean, but. There's yeah. this opportunity. If if you just add captions to it, you know what, like the important part of the whole video is the actual content of what is being said. 100%, yeah. Um, and so yeah, we we have some really cool visions for uh, making life easier for creatives down the road for, you know, what does quick look like? Um, because at the core, we're a video management system. Yeah. yeah. We're managing people's content for them, and we're, we're providing captions um very fast right. and can help them push more content out faster. So definitely if you follow Gary V and you like creating videos, we're probably a good fit for you. <laughs> I listen to a lot of Gary V. So. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Um, I was going to ask your team. So t- the team at Alice, yeah. I'm not sure how many people there were, how much of that kind of converted into quick. Did some people decide to leave? What did that look like? Yeah, it was a whole team um, that we were able to keep and That's even awesome. add a couple more. Yeah. Um, so it's been really incredible. 
seeing the core values that we had. Mm -hmm. um, with Alice, it was really around, we want to help tell the story of the individual applying for a job, mm -hmm. right? And why are they better than somebody who has a more qualified resume? Right. Um, that same message is the message that we're carrying for creators, which is to be heard. Yeah. Um, and not only, yeah, that's the shirt I'm wearing right now. <laughs> um, to be heard when you're in a noisy environment, and, and I say noisy kind of as a, a, a pun on things right, right. because it's like, oh, it's on mute. Uh, or there's a bunch of other people just creating content. Right. So I don't think we're at content at scale by any means yet. And if you've got, you know, 20 million marketers who are all producing 100 pieces of video content a day, we're nowhere close to that. But all right. of a sudden, like, how do you cut through that noise? Right. Can you do it without captions? I doubt it. Yeah. Um, and then when other people start using captions, and you have to use captions, it's right. kind of like, yeah. Um, but but then we kind of found this amazing community of the deaf and hard of hearing. Who, you know, I never knew that that like yeah, I, I just didn't know either. it makes sense. But yeah. you you don't think about the they just cannot engage with these new um, uh, with these new video based mediums because mm -hmm. if there's not closed captioning. Um, which you actually have to manually add as a creator, uh, or if you are looking for captions burned in, like there's very few people who actually do that. Yeah. And so whether it's an entertainment video or an educational video um, in the private sector, in the public sector, like, I mean, it's amazing the number of organizations that you would think would be required by law to produce yeah, captions a, a on point, video, yeah. but they don't because, right. you know, it's like, Oh, we kind of understand this is a huge problem. It'd be way more, way more money than you could actually spend to do it. So just get better every year is kind of the like yeah. <laughs> offering that they have. And yeah, I mean, just it sucks. So yeah, for sure. Yeah, we've learned a lot. And and you know, I've had my uh, first meeting with uh, the amazing women over at the uh, uh, Kansas. Um, uh, Association of the Deaf, okay. and I mean, we had a full interpreter and everything for yeah. the uh, meeting, and that was my first experience, to be honest, and it was a, a really incredible experience and taught me so much about right. yeah. this user group and this consumer group that we never really even thought of. And that's really important for oh, you yeah. to get, I mean, hands-on, yeah. meet the people that oh, yeah. need and the need that is there the most. Yeah, those yeah. are the best parts of my week, Yeah, for sure. That's really cool. So where, where do you fall on the, the quality versus quantity? I know Gary even recently has been talking a lot about quantity, like quantity, quantity. how much, like you don't have to sacrifice quality for quantity, but wh what do you think that balance is? So I'm gonna hearken a little bit back to my early days uh, as, a, as a web designer. Um, in the photography space, um, it really was, and I think it's kind of changed, the names have changed, but the idea is the same. Your biggest competitor as a professional photographer mm -hmm. was not the professional photographer next to you. It was Canon, Nikon, and Sony telling everyone else out there in the world that all you need to do is spend $1,000 on a camera, right. and then you can be a professional photographer. That's not the case. Right. Not by a long stretch. Um, but the idea is that it's the technology that you can point and shoot, and we have you know, super auto, we have AI in this hardware that like can make it, and it's even, it's even worse now with phones, right? Yeah. Like oh, yeah. the Google Pixel lineup and like the iPhone lineup, like you can take great photos, right? right? Um, but how do you go from great to like that premium experience? Right. How do you go from good to great, I should say? So yeah. you can take good photos with these devices, 
and in the same way, um, when you're creating content, you can produce good content and you can do good content at scale. Right. You can't do great content at scale. When you think of an Avengers movie or like, you know, a cut for like these professional shoots, a sure. Super Bowl commercial, like you can't do a hundred of those. Right. Uh, you can't do a hundred of them a week, you let alone a year. Um, but you can pick up a phone and record quality content that has an impact on a very yeah. niche group of people. Um, and you can do it very fast. Definitely. And so I think I lean more into the way that technology has helped augment this sector. You can produce good content or good quality content mm -hmm. at scale. And you don't have to do it's it's the 80 20 rule, right? 20% of your effort. Yeah, gets you 80% of the way there. The last 20% um, of your journey is going to take 80% of your effort. So trying to understand in this world where it's so easy to create content, your competition is uh, so high now, yeah. anyone in the world can do it. Uh, and they can compete with your niche, your audience. Right. And I think this is where the produce more content mm -hmm. that is more relevant and targeted to what you're talking about and just skip all the fluff and you know, short form is really good and like you can reuse it. You can yeah. take long form stuff and reuse quotes and things yeah, like definitely. that. But yeah, I I probably line up with Gary's assessment yeah. of the world for sure uh, in content creation more than uh, anyone else. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, while we're kind of on the Alice and Quick, what is your thought on AI, artificial intelligence? Kind of where do you fall on that? Obviously, there's good use cases here, mm -hmm. um, but like. I don't know, long-term, global, scale, whatever. Are you, are you on the Elon Musk, it's gonna be the end of us, Terminator style, or where, where do you <laughs> fall on that scale? Um, I mean, I have, um, gosh, now only two years of exposure to AI and what that looks like. Mm -hmm. um, the math behind it is really interesting to yeah. me. Um, I think that AI is still very early in its assimilation into society. Mm -hmm. um, I do think AI is going to be able to do some powerful things in some really incredible sectors. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't necessarily know. I, maybe I just haven't been around long enough or in the game long enough to know what the <laughs> ultimate impact could yeah. be. Um, I'm, I'm probably not leaning so much in Elon's camp of like, it's going to be the end of all of us. Uh, yeah. It's going to take over and just like nuke the world or something. Um, I think that the important conversation to have right now is how do we build AI responsibly? And this was something we talked a lot about when we were working with Alice is, how do we make sure that we collaborate with the human component of any workflow yeah. and say, you know, here's, here's the things that we as humans are bad at, mm -hmm. sorting through giant data sets and trying to find patterns, we're not great at that, right? right? We get distracted, we get bored, we make mistakes. Yep. Um, so where the, the cost for an error is low, um, so if the AI makes a mistake, then uh, I'm okay. Like it's fuzzy, right? Yeah. Um, personalities are fuzzy, right? Someday you're one thing, other days you're another thing. So we could, we could afford to be less accurate on that, but like self-driving cars, for example, right. it's a bad day when right. your AI breaks on that. Right. Um, and so how do you, how do you generate, how do you build something in a responsible sense? And it's been incredible to see all the conversations that spur out of it. Like, okay. You know, who do you choose? And you know, when um, when you've got a self-driving car versus a self-driving semi, right? If there's nobody in the semi, it's literally 
you could essentially say, if you sense any possible collision with any other vehicle, just drive out into the ditch and crash the whole thing, right? It might be an expensive mistake, but right. it's better than a life, right? right? Or even endangering a life, yeah. right? But if it's self-driving taxis, it's like, okay, well, now there's lives inside of this unit, right. so I can't just tricky, drive yeah. off the road, um, which is why I think, like, the autonomous trucking is probably a more realistic space than the autonomous yeah. um, For taxis, sure. but yeah. I'm still holding out. Okay. That's interesting, though. Um, what would you say to somebody that wants to start something? Maybe they're, um, I mean, college, high school age, or even, I mean, my age, whoever, then they want to start something, but they might not have that idea. They're like still trying to brainstorm and get that perfect idea. And I think a lot of people know it's more about the execution, yeah. but they don't know what yeah, to yeah. execute. What would you have any advice for them? Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, this is where you're going to hear some of the Gary Vaynerchuk <laughs> stuff come out. Um, I, I am a huge believer in self-awareness. Uh, mm -hmm. it's a journey that I got to kind of stumble through on my own, sure. um, and learn about myself, uh, before truly like taking other people's money to go execute an idea. Super important. Go, go and try things, right? See what you like, see what mm -hmm. you don't like and be so hyper-focused on bringing other people value because when you do that, you start to see the problems. You see the deltas. You see the difference in saying, like, all right, this group of people, they, they're they missing this tool. They're missing this thing, and I could build that. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe I don't know exactly how to build it, but I could learn how to build that. And then all of a sudden, you start having those ideas because you're looking for areas to create value. Uh, and I do think that, like, those true entrepreneurial uh, individuals are always looking for opportunity. Um, and it's where can I maximize this impact of opportunity mm -hmm. with my skills, right? So being self-aware of yeah. where your limits are, who do you need to partner with? How can you build those relationships mm -hmm. and continue to make value? So the only way that you find that is learning to be um, helpful to mm -hmm. others and uh, trying a lot of different things. Sure. So. Uh, you, you might get a Gary Vee quote out of this one too, but <laughs> would, would you recommend people like you said, I mean, you know, you said to be introspective and kind of know what you're good at, but would you recommend people leaning into those strengths then? Or like say somebody's like, mm. okay, I could learn to program. Should I do that? Yeah. But where, where's that balance? Um, I think if it's something that you haven't tried before, mm -hmm. um, just try it. Yeah. Right. I mean, spend some time on it. See if you like it. For me, one of the things, it's an awesome business model with the one-day website stuff, but after doing 360-so sites, like, man, you get burnt out. Like, yeah. it's everyone's asking for the same thing, you know, because they see your portfolio and, like, I want that one but blue. You know, I want this site but uh, change a contact form up for a different font. And it's like you, you just kind of – it's this weird process because you don't want to infringe on somebody else's – site or creation that right. works for them and you know that the you know that this specific individual like needs something different um, but then you have to figure out how to convince them that yep. they need something different um and so i think that trying different things is is really really important yeah. um and try as many things as often as you can um to to say like all right i gave this a good shot and yep. i just was bad at it sure um and then know what that know what success and know what failure kind of looks like or feels like for you mm -hmm. i think this is where having a good group of friends or mentors around you who can say like honestly you're really good at this sure. or honestly uh you should hire this you know like right. hire hire for yeah. your weaknesses yeah um i'm a, I'm a huge advocate for <laughs> hiring for your weaknesses oh, absolutely um so just to kind of some 
random questions I thought about. Um, how do you organize your thoughts? So personally, I try to be organized. I've got a notebook, but then I end up with 50 sticky notes everywhere else. I've tried notes. How do you approach that? Because I feel like, especially for like a creative yeah, entrepreneur, yeah. you probably yeah. have a system. Um, I think the best thing that I have ever done is live by my calendar. Okay. Like I put as much as I can yeah. on my calendar to break out my day. So if I'm working on a feature, if I'm doing sub, like sub specific support tickets, yeah. um, but in a lot of ways I do thrive in the chaos. Like if I see something and I know it's going to take me less than 10 minutes to do, mm -hmm. I do it. Yeah. Um, and I know that it breaks up some workflows sometimes. So like if I'm in a specific workflow, I just take all of those distractions away and focus on what I'm doing. Um, but for me, I really have to like get it done in the moment or I know I'm going to miss it yeah. and I know it's going to fall out of my scope. So uh, if it's an email I need to come back to tomorrow morning, I just hit snooze on Gmail and it comes back in tomorrow morning. Right. Yeah. Um, if it's a uh, and I try and do inbox zero. So you're always, you know, keeping your inbox close to zero. Right. Yeah. Like never more than one page. I need to uh, <laughs> declare email bankruptcy. Yeah. And start I declare. Yeah. Archive all. <laughs> All 2,000. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it, it was when I did a, a, like an email change that yeah. I said, okay, this one has to be inbox zero. Right. Like I'm not letting myself get sure. away with it otherwise. Yeah. Um, but unroll, unroll.me. For yeah. anyone who's tired of like the 400 marketing letters that they're on, go to unroll.me and they essentially like tell you all of the things that you're subscribed to oh, and nice. you can unsubscribe from all. I'm going to do that tonight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's too. awesome. Like, and they'll tell you, like, periodically, you've got 126 new things that you're subscribed to. I was like, what? When did I do that? When did that happen? <laughs> that's uh, funny. Yeah. But, it, I mean, it adds up over time. And then it's like, yeah. that's 15 emails that you're throwing in the trash every morning. Right. Um, just take that out of your workflow. And Yeah. Because I'm always, like, signing up. I'm like, oh, this would be a good idea. Like, yeah. I could read this for two minutes in the morning. And then yeah, you yeah. get 100 of those. And, yeah. Um, so the startup entrepreneurial scene here in Wichita, where would you say that's at? Do you think it's a good time or maybe easy, easier or harder oh, than man. Wichita than somewhere else? What is where is the entrepreneur startup space right now? Yeah, that's uh, it's interesting. So I really started getting involved kind of after the first wave of leaders in this entrepreneurial ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So like the Jake Waymans of the world, yeah. the Seth Edders of the world that were leading the sure. the entrepreneurial eco ecosystem, getting one million cups started and yeah. kind of driving that and. Um, so I came, came in right as they were kind of on the tail end a couple of years ago yeah. uh, here in Wichita. And it's made leaps and bounds in some ways here in Wichita and then kind of backtracked on in others. Um, so I, I think if you're a company here in Wichita or you're an entrepreneur looking to get connected, some of the best things that you can do is just go to the events that we yeah, do have, definitely. right? Uh, it's it's not a Boston, it's not a New York, it's not a San Francisco where there's literally something every single night, right? It, there's a dozen things a year, right? Or there's, right. you know, maybe three or four things a month, like yeah. Startup Grind, One Million Cups. You know, we do some of the shift conferences yep. with flagship uh, Kansas.tech, the new tech council yep. here. So especially if you're in tech, which is really all that I could speak to, um, I would say just get involved, get to know some of the other startups that have... Um, been in this space and have either had success or are still going or have failed um, and and just try and talk to the founders try and talk to the mm -hmm. the people who are in the trenches every single day 
I think that's where you get the most value, especially for the technology ones, because we we're not like San Francisco where we've had so many tech startups and those engineers and those um, business leaders and those marketers have all had successful exits and now they can reinvest in companies. And like um, we're, we're kind of still relying on what I would call um, uh, outside of tech money. Um, There's a few uh, exceptions to that, but um, it's, you know, it's people who don't have that intimate connection with tech in the last five years, even because a lot's changed in the last five years. Um, and how do we, how do we really understand how to, like, how to value, how to build, how to invest, and how to mentor tech companies mm-hmm. in this ecosystem? So, my biggest suggestion would be go outside and build relationships outside of this ecosystem as well, mm-hmm. um, and travel. Right, do yeah. some traveling. I think the best perspective I ever got was being involved in the Sunshine Coast in Brisbane. Uh, tech startup ecosystem in Australia, mm-hmm. very different. Uh, not not Silicon Valley like per se, but yeah. um, they had the same issues with raising capital because it's Australia, not the U.S. Yeah. Um, but the technical um, education, I guess, proficiency of the leaders mm-hmm. um, was very different to here. I was kind of surprised, to be honest, that sure. they were so far uh, more experienced without having a lot of the same tech startups. And mm-hmm. I think it's because they're able to work for companies um, who adopted a lot of those principles early. And gotcha. um, yeah, we've, we've got uh, some interesting, I mean, if you're pulling talent from this ecosystem, I mean, think about the companies you know off the top of your head that you'd be pulling tech talent from and like, how do they operate internally? Right. So you either take them from school, you take them from a company in this city that has already got tech talent, or you bring them from out of Wichita, yeah. uh, either remote or bring them into like live here. And uh, really, the the there's a few diamonds in the rough, um, but the most experienced talent I think that you're going to have, uh, other than our team, because we kind of sucked up some of the diamonds in the rough <laughs> here. Uh, is it's going to be ones who have built companies elsewhere and have come back to Wichita um, sure. because they get the experience from working for a San Francisco company and then they can come back or you know, it doesn't have to be San Francisco, but like Chicago, right, Austin, right, yeah. like they work for a tech company. They know the game, like they understand what that feels like. And it's not a, you know, a big corporate long-term slow moving thing. It's like we went from 15 people in the office to 150 in two years, right? right? We went from small to large and we raised a bunch of capital and we were kind of the sweetheart of an Austin ecosystem. And then all of a sudden you can add tons of value in ecosystems that haven't experienced yeah. that. So yeah, that's like, it's something that I learn every single day. Sure. Um, I'm fortunate really enough to have some connections outside of this ecosystem that I can lean on when I that's have really questions cool. or need, need some help on something, but yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're, think, we're all learning. Right. Yeah. I think I found the, uh, just the different, a few of the companies here in town have been super helpful and to talk to yeah. even, I mean, even just, I mean, I've interviewed you now, um, Steven yeah. Warner, yeah. Um, Jacob Wayman, oh, yeah. uh, I met Trevor Crotz, I met Jocelyn with TU Auto, just a lot of yeah. those different oh, people. Yeah. And everyone's always like, if you need anything, let me know. Like everybody's willing to like take Absolutely. time and it's really cool to. Well, and I think, I, I mean, I know all of those people yeah. and, and yeah. I know that it's, it's something that we're all passionate about is, um, being able to give, you know, 15 minutes here, an hour there to mm-hmm. say, like, I hope that this hour saves you 10 because I know how hard it was for us to, like, grind through this. Right. And, like, if we can just save you a few, like, if we can save you some time, that's actually better for this entire ecosystem. Yeah. Because the reality in, in a tech ecosystem, you need 
talent and it's not just engineering talent it's like marketing talent it's leadership um you know how do you identify good products how do you keep them um small enough to make market sense and monetize um the only way that you retain that is if you have enough startups coming up the pipeline so when one of these companies like goes under i mean everyone kind of uses the s t example here in town and um yeah it was really kind of a terrible situation but the reality is we got a ton of amazing engineers out of that yeah right like we had engineers who went from kind of uh i'm not sure like i'm kind of green um and and even some some uh good experienced engineers and they were able to help grow over that period of time to where their talents coming into the startup ecosystem super valuable sure um and so like we've even seen the benefit of that yeah. um, our engineers actually came from snt and um they're fantastic they uh yeah. they, they know how to work under deadlines they know how to um uh they know kind of the bad side of things too yeah. so it's um it, it's also interesting to hear some of those uh those perspectives sure. and what was really good about the technology there and um, and see how to develop advanced things that there's yeah. not a, I mean, there's not a ton of companies that I know about here in Wichita that are doing that. And Just to clear, S&T is? S&T was a startup um, that raised a lot of money here in this ecosystem, okay. and uh, they ended up going bankrupt and owed about $45 million. And yeah, yeah. so it was a big, a big blow up in the tech ecos- ecosystem here in Wichita and big black eye for a while. Right. Um, but the reality is like the more of those companies that you have, mm-hmm. there's going to be ones that fail, the right. majority of them, and there's going to be a few that succeed or, or do okay. And how can you help keep that talent here? Yeah. And the only way you keep that talent here is to have the next cohort, the next group of right. people coming up so that, you know, if somebody burns, a company burns out or like it fails for whatever reason to right. relate to market or just didn't get the adoption they wanted, um, then you can bring that back around and like bring some experience into the younger companies to help right. guide and mentor them day to day and build that company to add value to those founders. So I think always, yeah, that's really interesting knowing that that's, I mean, that's what happened in Boulder. That's what happened in San Francisco. They have just been doing it for 70 years and right. we've been doing it for seven. Right. Yeah, so <laughs> pretty early for yeah, young. Yeah. So. so young, but hopeful. Yeah, for sure. Um, so now I just have some questions um, that I've kind of ripped off from some other podcasts. Sure. So I'm, I'm a big Tim Ferriss fan, Joe Rogan. There you uh, go. All the, you know, uh, how that goes. Um, so what is something you often recommend to people? So it could be a book, a podcast, anything like that. Um, I love listening to Jason Calacanis' podcast, This okay. Week in Startups. Okay. Um, I, think he gr- I think he creates um, some amazing value. And, and especially if you've never kind of listen to people talk about investing and yeah. talk about term sheets and all of that. If you're really new mm-hmm. and you want to be a founder or CEO or co-founder, listen to at least, I don't know, two dozen of those podcasts. Sure. And then start, just start listening. Like what are the things that I don't know here? And yeah. I'll go learn that. Um, I think it's a great foundational piece to start thinking about how to build companies, how to hold, how to hold good culture and good value within companies and, mm-hmm. You know, where can you go wrong with product? Because um, he does a lot of different things between guests on the podcast or, or just office hours with founders. And they give him a yeah. 
one minute pitch and then he like kind of rips them apart or okay. praises yeah. them on things and it's it's really helpful. Interesting. Okay, I've listened to this week in tech. Yeah, I think it must be related, but I've heard his name and I think it was on that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. interesting. Um, do you have a favorite failure in any aspect of your life? So you've had a lot of ventures. So mm, um, my favorite failure. Let's see which one is my favorite <laughs> failure. I would say um, early on when I was first getting into entrepreneurship, actually it was probably right before I decided to do my freelance web design stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I had a business relationship, which I lost about $7,000, which young kid, that's yeah, a lot of money, that is right? A lot of money. Um, and um, I learned that having the right co-founder is very, very important. Okay. Um, match on values and culture and founders and co-founders, especially when it comes to, you know, who's getting paid and why do they need to get paid in a relationship? You have to be very open and transparent around that yeah. um, from day one. Right. And I was in a na naive situation and I just had to learn the hard way that I was essentially going to pay somebody to not do anything. Um, and right. it was my money on the line, and and uh, I thought they had more expertise and business acumen than they did, but I I didn't I didn't know that. Right. And so I, I think losing that money taught me to truly appreciate, even for my own respect, like when I'm asking for something from anybody, yeah, like knowing how to value that relationship and see what value am I bringing to the table, and always trying to know that that will produce more value than I'm asking for in return. Yeah. Um, and I think if you operate from that mindset, it, it really helps anchor you to um, some really good core qualities in, um, in business yeah. um, and generally works out if, if you're thinking about that. Cool, yeah, so. I think that's good advice because I know, I mean, just friends of starting stuff and trying to decide oh, who do I want to work with? Is yeah. it your brother, your yeah. friend, yeah, yeah. How, what that looks like? So. And, I, and I think taking the time to make the decision um, is important, yeah. right? So yeah. I've worked with friends, I've worked with family. Sometimes they work out, sometimes they don't. I, I think it's just setting the right expectations mm -hmm. and knowing that hey, contracts exist for a reason and they're not to screw somebody over. It's to set expectations and to clearly communicate. Yeah. And so read your contracts, sure. right? Write your contracts, have a lawyer write your contracts, right? Like right. understand exactly what you're getting into. And if you have questions, ask questions. Right. If you can't make the decision, if they give you an ultimatum, like might not be the right deal. Sure. So, yeah. um, and then also I think for startups in particular, know how to value yourself. It, mm -hmm. There's a little bit of a guesswork art to valuation and yeah. we don't always get it right. right. Um, but understand if somebody wants to take 40 to 60 percent of your company in round one you're not an investable company after that and like know what kind of path you path you want that sure. company to take yeah um so yeah i mean there's there's a real art to that and we just don't have a lot of good education in this market around that so you have to kind of go and dig on the internet and like yeah. Watch how do the, some of the silicon valley companies do that if, if you're going to raise capital right um and then it's not your money, so treat it like it's someone else's money. Be respectful yeah. with it, and just drive value. Sure. Pay it back. Yep. Um, what is your definition of success? Oh, yeah. The um, one. Yes. <laughs> I, I think that success is truly being able to operate in the skills and the talents um, that 
you're skilled and talented in and that brings you joy, right? Mm -hmm. So being self-aware enough to say like, I love entrepreneurship because I get to work with other founders, I get to work with team members, and I get to help um, realize my own true value mm -hmm. um, and inspire myself, but also be inspired by others and help inspire others to realize like, this is the type of company I could build or this is the type of product that could bring value to these creators around the world. Mm -hmm. And so I love being in startups and the entrepreneurial ecosystem yeah. because I can, um, I mean, I, I could literally spend hours just talking yeah, with tell, yeah. Uh, yeah, others about um, things that I've learned the hard way or um, stumbled into, luckily. And um, it's a lot of fun to hear awesome ideas from creative people and see them realize their true potential in those ideas. Sure. That's really cool. Do you have a life motto that you live by or what's some great advice you've received? Um, well, my life motto is um, really kind of anchoring myself and um, inspiring others to mm -hmm. realize their true potential or true value. Um, and then I think the best advice, probably the most, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm going to give you another Gary V quote here. Um, it. But it was honestly one of the things that I heard from Gary that threw me off my rocker a little mm -hmm. bit because it's such an audacious quote, but it's a great one, um, which is you're going to die. Right. And so yeah. when you really think about that statement, like you're going to die. So what are you going to do between now and then? Are you going to complain? Are you going to produce? Are you going to create? Or are you going to consume? Mm -hmm. You know, what, what are you going to do between now and then? And there's a lot of things we can do. And we're living in a very fortunate age in yeah. which uh, a lot of that can be entertainment. A lot of that can be just sitting around, um, or it could be hard work or, or a mixture of the both. There's, right. I mean, yeah, but what for you personally, what are you going to do with that statement? And what does that mean to you? Are you scared of death? Are you going to embrace it? Like, how do you deal with it? I mean, there's a lot that you can go into with mm -hmm. just those like three words. You're going to die. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Oh, oh man. Okay. So yeah, yeah, no doubt. Um, what is a habit that you developed over the past few years that's most improved your life? Um, turning email notifications off on any mobile device has been huge. Um, and then just living by the calendar, to be yeah. honest, uh, uh, my wife and I are, are good at that some weeks and bad at it other are weeks. Are you synced up? So you, yeah, I you do my best to stay synced yeah. up and, um, she, she likes writing things down a lot more. And so yeah. like, we've got to work through that, but, uh, <laughs> um, so I mean, yeah, she, she's been awesome at, um, getting, uh, getting her stuff on the, on the calendar and making sure that I know where she's going to be. But, you know, it, it just has kind of come to the point where it's like, if it's on the calendar, it doesn't exist. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, she gives me a hard time because like, she's like, well, if it's on the calendar, it still might not exist because remember that <laughs> meeting that you weren't supposed to have, like you canceled the meeting, you rescheduled it. And then you still showed up to the calendar event that you didn't <laughs> reschedule. So uh, it's, yeah, yeah like, it happens. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, live by the calendar. Yeah. Uh, it allows me to just look and see what's next and, and go to it and just free up brain space the rest of the day. Sure. What is your favorite part of Wichita or a hidden gem in Wichita? Ooh, a hidden gem in Wichita. I, having spent time in the specialty coffee industry in Australia, so mm -hmm. we lived there for three months and we're kind of exploring if we were going to move there or not. 
I went from knowing nothing and drinking dirt water on a farm <laughs> to like being a super coffee snob because yeah. of just you're in a roaster every day and one of the best um, coffee cultures in the world. And uh, I would say that the best coffee that I've had in Wichita, which is our guilty pleasure as mm-hmm. a couple, is at Little Lion, which is an yeah. ice cream store. Yeah. Um, but Ian used to be the head roaster over at uh, Reverie in the early days and has really crafted excellent training for his baristas, but then also sourced quality coffee uh, sure. from Madcap. And uh, I would say that's like if if you want to know what coffee in the rest of the world kind of should taste like like mm-hmm. the high quality stuff i would say uh little lion does a very good job at uh all the all the aspects right gotcha, the yeah. sourcing great coffee then training their people to like make that coffee really well every single time mm-hmm. um and then just engaging uh around their uh around their store so yeah that's really cool i love awesome. little lion it's yeah. my i've been there a couple times that i have not had their coffee yet so i'll have to yeah. check it out yeah um, is there anything you wish Wichita had that it does not have? Or what would you improve about Wichita? I would improve flight access through the airport. Okay. And yeah. and that really only happens by people here flying more. Like the Fly Wichita campaign. So yeah. they're, I know they're pushing for it. So Yeah, I worked uh, I worked with Valerie, Valerie over there. We got mm-hmm. to share some more of our, um, yeah. our travel journeys actually through, I think it was our July um, Air Magazine, yeah, uh, awesome. which, which was a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, I think... Um, I would love to see more direct access. Mm-hmm. Selfishly, I'd love to have a nonstop flight to LA because then it's like Wichita to LA to Australia. Right. Um, okay. It's That'd like, cool, it's yeah. literally two flights and then we're there um, instead of the three or four that it takes now. Right. Um, but I think also, um, I wish Wichita had more of a connection through like a sister city, for example, sure. that fostered more. Um, I mean, we have this big, idea that we need to retain talent and we need to keep people here which is absolutely true but i think the other thing that we need to do is we need to learn how to share what we do have and our connection our our roots our history and then bring in new talent yeah bring in people from outside of wichita here and show them why you know everything from the cost of living which you hear a lot of being cheaper than other places but also like the amazing food culture that we have here right. and some of the arts that are really popping up more and more now and inspiring others to bring kind of those connections here. And, and uh, you know, maybe they have a company that sells things online all around the world and, and that those dollars can come into the Wichita sure. ecosystem instead of somewhere else. So I think this sister city idea, especially internationally, would be really cool yeah. uh, to connect with people here leaving and coming back but experiencing some of the world and then those who have experienced other places coming here and Definitely. and giving us more diversity and culture yeah that's really cool so last question what does wichita mean to you uh, well growing up wichita was always the the place to go if you wanted to <laughs> shop at sam's or uh, go see a movie hang out at the mall um and i think it always was this like seemingly distant backyard city that I didn't spend a lot of time in because uh, to be quite frank, like growing up or even early entrepreneurial years, like I didn't see them putting much value into me as an entrepreneur. And there was really just the wrong mindset. Mm -hmm. Um, And so having the opportunity, I mean, when we, when I was doing freelance web design, I did web design all over the world for, 
I mean, Norway, Canada, UK, mm-hmm. you know, Jersey to California to Florida, yeah. New Mexico, like all over the place. And it wasn't until I realized that, you know, there is an opportunity for me to gain value from my own backyard. And I think making the decision to start to seek others out instead of waiting for people to seek me out Mm -hmm. um, and just, and just learn from them. Right. Like the, the idea to say there's something I can learn from amazing people here in town. I just like, I should stop being bitter about the things that they haven't given me and like Mm -hmm. just go and, see how I can bring them value. And I think that wake up call was good um, to just say, all right, like I love Wichita now because um, it is a city of opportunity. And I think the best way I could describe it is it's like, it's almost like that startup that is just on the cusp of like exploding into growth Mm -hmm. and amazing things happening. And we're right on that catalyst and that cusp. And it, it feels like, oh, if there's just you know, 10 more people in the city who are really engaged or 10 more cool startups, like all of a sudden now we start to boom and like, mm-hmm. you know, see some real um, snowball effect sure. uh, in this whole place. So it feels like you're on the first, like it, it feels like you're on that fresh wave, that cusp of innovation. Yeah. And uh, that energy is building and building. And, you know, we've still got our flaws. Um, but I think from a startup ecosystem uh, standpoint, it's just going to take a couple you know, a couple startup teams who buckle down and like build a company that's worth, um, worth talking about and worth getting excited about and, um, add, add more value back into this community first. Mm -hmm. It's like give, 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 then take. Um, and, and I think as founders, sometimes we get frustrated because like you feel like you're giving into the ecosystem, you're giving into the ecosystem and it's ever giving back. But really it's the, it's just the hard work. It's the exercise of, just doing it because you enjoy doing it. And if you don't enjoy giving, then it's probably not the right ecosystem for you. Sure. Um, but yeah. I, yeah, I love it. That's awesome. I, I think Wichita is, is um, becoming more of a an example for, for me to say, like, there's amazing people that give yeah. way more than they need to here. And uh, those are the ones that you want to find and connect with. Definitely. Like all the startups that we've mentioned so far. Oh, yeah, 100%. So. Awesome. Well, that's all I got, man. I really appreciate you coming on and taking the time. I went a little longer than I thought, but I love, I mean, I, I could keep talking. To you <laughs> yeah, for yeah, hours, so. yeah, no, I mean, I, I would say for us, um, we're excited to be here. Um, we've had a lot of people tell us that we shouldn't be here. We should go into a different ecosystem, but, um, um, I love it here yeah. and, uh, I want to raise a family here and have this be the city that we're connected to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, see my kids grow up uh, being part of the ecosystem even though we do live outside of town like we spend probably more of our time in town than outside of town um and uh that's that's really fun so i appreciate you having me a part of this it's it's going to be fun to see um how this podcast continues to grow and uh if you're not listening to it i guess you are if you're listening to this maybe they're reading it maybe they're reading it if you're seeing these captions (laughs) listen to this podcast in full now there you have go. to go and clip that. And yeah, I'll clip it, run it through real quick. Yeah, uh, there, there you go. go. Put it awesome. on. Yeah. Cool, man. I really appreciate it. And we'll get this out there. And uh, hopefully we can inspire some people in Wichita. Thanks, Landon. Thanks, Jason. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wichita Live Podcast. If you enjoyed, please share it with a friend and leave a review on whatever podcast platform you use. 
I'm putting all of the podcasts on YouTube now as well. And we'll start doing video podcasts for some episodes in the future. So go to Wichita Life Podcast on YouTube and subscribe today. If you want to support the podcast, head over to our Patreon page. Thanks for the listen.